Oh, hey, Jay. Hey, Michelle. How's it going? It's going. I feel sunburnt. And I'm exhausted because I don't know how you moms mom all day. Babysitting. Leah, who is almost five with Down syndrome and has a tood is just exhausting. But I'm here. I've got yes. three Mick Ultras. They're Mick Ultra seltzers lined up. What? So I'm going to like be smashing these. Does that taste like a beer or a seltzer? A seltzer. But it's just okay. Michelob Ultra. It's their brand. Version. Okay. Yeah. Do you like them better than White Claw? No. Or no. Okay. But I went to in our town. You you've been here. We have mm-hmm. like the Dollar General or the gas okay. station is the only wow. places where you can buy beer within yeah. like a five minute radius. Okay. So the I know the gas station well. Yeah. That's where we go to the gas station all the time. Like, oh guys, the gas station's gas station. my favorite. Yeah. My I stopped at the gas station on the regular. Um, I've already been there this morning, actually. I almost went back tonight. But um, so I was at Dollar General picking something else up. And I was like, oh, I need seltzer. I might as well just, oh, they have Michelob Ultra. I've always wanted to try this. I'll just buy it. I should just stick with my number two, White Claw. It's the best. Has my favorite flavors. Like, I don't know why I go out of the box, but I did. And it's hey, fine. But I'm I lined up in the right to note, Michelle, that that it's good to go outside of the box sometimes, okay? Uh, that's where innovation lies, my friend, all right? Well, also, I'm happy that I get a berry flavor that I like. Usually I hate, like, uh, maybe, I guess not, like the black, the purple ones. Mm. Usually there's like a blackberry white claw. Blah. Nope, can't do it. So it's, so it's, a, it's the cherry flavors for me that I usually uh, sh- shy away from. Those are like, oh yeah, I don't like else. cherries either. Um, but I, so I don't know if we've talked about this before. Perhaps we have. I'll just mention it again because most of my friends and family tend to forget this fact about me. I don't drink and I haven't drank for almost nine years. Oh, my anniversary is uh, in two months. So nine Yay. years in two months. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah, nine years. Yeah. So anyway, um, I but I smoke the ganja. All right, you guys. I'm very much about the cannabis, and I live in a state where it's legal. But hopefully, we'll have federal, you know, decriminalization soon because that's enough. a whole thing. Um, but what I was gonna say is, I really, really like seltzer water. Since we're talking about hard seltzer, and since that's like a trend, right? And probably has something to do with millennials which by the way is our topic for tonight um but i know we're going on random tangents but i think it all kind of um relates because michelle and i are both millennials and what is a millennial you may ask it's somebody that was born between 1980 and 2000 okay and we are the largest generation to date yeah that's right really eat the boomers yes Yes. So um, we beat the boomers. We beat the boomers. Yeah. The boomers and most of um, our parents are boomers. So yeah, it's funny that the boomers actually had more kids than like their parents did. Um, hmm. And, but boomers could still get away with those things as we'll talk about, you know, how society has failed us millennials as a whole and how we, the millennials, even though it's not our fault, boomers okay it's not our fucking fault we are going to fix the earth that you've created for us so thank you for that 
Um, but Michelle and I were actually chatting, and this also re relates to millennials as a whole, because um, a lot of us struggle with mental health issues. And we were just chatting um, because I'm actually in a very uh, incredible depressive episode right now. Perhaps you wouldn't know because of the way that I'm speaking to you right now. Um, but isn't that something that we all do with depression? We all have masks. It's all hidden. Um, that we that we tend to wear. Um to try to fit into society's expectations of us, right? That are uh, pretty high. You know, I'll, I'll say that society has some pretty high expectations of us and they have some really, they, they say really mean things about us, Michelle, and I don't appreciate it, okay? You don't know how many meetings I've been in that are like, how to embrace the millennial in the workplace or like, no. yeah. so we have a bunch of millennials, how do we make them work? And I'm like in this meeting and I'm like, hi, hi. Hey. I'm a millennial. Yeah. I don't appreciate that tone. <laughs> exactly. And so, and we're entitled assholes. I just, I don't, I don't see it. Um, uh, okay. So you guys, we're going to talk about why we are, we come off as entitled. Okay. It's all psychology driven. It's because of our fucking parents. Hello. Generation to generation. It's all about how the people before us shaped us and shaped the society and shaped the policies that we then go into, right? Okay, so before we get into it, because I have a lot of information to share with you guys, and I know that we're going to have a lot of fellow millennial listeners, so I hope you guys can appreciate what I'm about to share with you. Um, I found the most amazing book um, that most of my references, all of the facts and everything I'm going to be sharing from here, um, but I also wanted to tell everybody to from you know michelle is very correct about this i've been obsessed with millennials in the workplace since i myself you know became in the workplace um let's go back let's just go back in time for a little bit shall we okay yeah let's so do it imagine it's 2008 okay michelle and i lived this reality we graduated college maybe you graduated in 2009 but you have a master's degree uh whatever I graduated in 2008 in december you did. Okay. Sorry, Michelle and I didn't speak um, back in 2008 because I was a shady, shady bitch. So it's fine. We just we're, took a hiatus. It's fine. We took a hiatus, but we're all good now. Everything's great. But I'm talking about the climate, okay? The, the economic climate. When we graduated from college, even though Michelle graduated in December and I graduated in May, doesn't matter. The economy was shit, okay? The housing, the housing crash um, of 2008 happened and, you know, the stock market was at the lowest it had been since the Great Depression, everybody, okay? Hmm. So, we're, we're literally graduating from college and we're like, oh my God, we just, you know, most of us to this day still have about $25,000 left of student debt. Um, and that's not, and a lot of us have more. Um, some of us were fortunate, Michelle and I were both fortunate to have parents that actually um, had money and they had been um, saving I think we were up. just fortunate enough for our parents. Yeah, because it actually wasn't my parents. It was my grandpa. But, uh, but some, we had somebody family, in our family yeah, right. was able to help pay for our education. Right. And they and they made that a priority and they wanted us to succeed and all of that stuff because of the ideals that their you know, forefathers laid before them, right? Back in the day, the boomers have, you know, and they still have this mentality like, okay, if you you if you want something 
hard, you know, if you want something, Ugh. if you work hard enough for it, you can attain it. Okay, that's all well and good um, when you actually have an economy and a society that supports those claims. But unfortunately for our generation, that is not true. So let's look at some of these facts. Um, so, Lay the facts on me. I love okay. the facts. Okay. So here are, here's talking about our generation. Here's some facts and figures about the millennial Insert. generation insert Beatles our generation yeah, I was um, okay I, I was like gonna sing it but then I was like nah nah we'll, we'll let the dudes do their stuff except we have to pay for that so let's just pretend no, like that just, song is just playing in, in your okay. head in your head you, you play that song and yeah okay great and it's gone okay tell and us about gone. our generation okay so not only are the millennials the largest demographic we are also the most diverse um, we have 60% of us are non-Hispanic white compared to the 70% for older generations. 19% of us are of Hispanic descent. 14% of us are black. 4% of us are Asian. And 3% of us are mixed race. 11% of us were also born to an immigrant parent. Um, and that is a, a quote from this amazing book that I found. So yeah, let me just reference this book before I Yeah, continue. I want to I know about this book. Okay. I, I'm going to doodle throughout this because that's how I listen really, really well. Um, I love it. So See, I'm going to be doodling and listening. Um, and Michelle, thank you for, you know, that's something that we're changing is education um, because millennials are like, hey, guess what? We don't all learn the same. Okay. So like, let's make some changes so that we can all learn in a more inclusive environment that's more personalized to us, right? Like that, so that's something that millennials are way into, but we'll get back to that in a second. So the book that I found that is amazing is by, uh, it's called, where are my resources? Here it is. It's called The Gaslighting of the Millennial Generation, How to Succeed in a Society that Blames You for Everything Gone Wrong. Um, this was published in 2019, um, and the author is Caitlin Fisher. I found it as an ebook on Hoopla Digital, um, and I accessed it today. So I am going to be quoting a lot from Caitlin specifically, and all of the facts and most of the facts and figures that I'm going to be stating come from her, um, this book. Um, but I also um, have some recent articles that have been published within the last week or so, um, specifically still focusing on millennials and the workplace. Um, and this conversation, so I know that I, I'm jumping around, but when I said, let's go back to 2008, when Michelle and I graduated from, um, from college, the job market was bleak. And I mean bleak. There, um, you know, we, all of us have specialized degrees, like whatever. And um, we all had to have um, practical application, like in college, like uh, at ASU, Michelle and I both in our, pro in our programs of studies, we had to do some sort of like practical. So like Michelle had to do, did you have to do student you know, teaching? I did. I did yeah. and practicums as well. So it was yes. like practicums we had to do like, a, it was so many hours a semester. And then obviously student teaching was, you know, a whole half semester or it was a whole semester half year of like teaching and like we um oh my god I just forgot the word we like went in like we slowly got more work and then till we were teaching full-time and then slowly like came back out of work but yeah we had practical applications sorry yes. that was my long no. that was my long answer to an easy question <laughs> 
No, it's okay. But like, I guess the, the moral of the story is that, you know, at least the, when we graduated, that was something that was at a core of our university. Um, and I believe that this was at the core of a lot of universities around the nation at the time as well. Um, because it was, it goes back to how education was back when we were in, um, in school, whether that was primary school or secondary school, and then obviously continuing education as well. Um, but uh, the point, I don't know what, where I was getting at with that. Oh, in 2008, the market was yeah. so bad. So, right. So I remember um, I had to move back in with my parents. Uh, mm -hmm. Michelle, did you move back in with your parents or did you have? I a, did. Yeah. No, I did six months and then I was like, nope, I got to get out. Dude, doing? I know. I was like, I need to find a job so I can get the fuck out of here. Um, right? right. I had a taste of freedom. Literally, Michelle and I both traveled so many miles away from our hometowns just to get the fuck away from our parents and family. I'm just kidding. Well, not maybe actually not. I mean, me. no, um, <laughs> that, it's accurate, but not it doesn't have to be uh, like mine wasn't necessarily in a bad way. Like it wasn't malicious. Like I hate my family. I need to leave. Them. No, no, no. And mine it was wasn't like, malicious. Either. I need to get away. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, we need to go explore something different, right? That's something. Although, on a side note, sorry to interrupt you. No, it's cool. I was literally telling a friend or like a coworker about um, the first ticket I ever got when we were driving back from. Arizona oh, to yes. Colorado. In Colorado. And I was, was it in Waltenburg? Waltenburg? What, oh, what was yes. Town? It was like right Walsenburg? outside of Walsenburg. Walsenburg. Yes. Walsenburg. Ugh. It's like so a little shithole town in like South, South Colorado and they've got nothing. And I was better. so mad because you were speeding like crazy through uh, New Mexico <laughs> and we are an hour away from our destination and I get a freaking ticket for going 90 and a 75. But I wasn't the one going 100 <laughs> plus. I know. I know. Sorry. Anyways, that's just a side note that that conversation happened yesterday, actually. But listen, listen, Michelle, um, if it makes you feel any better, I do get caught eventually for my speeding implications. Okay. Um, okay. I almost got a felony in Arizona, but I cried my way out of it. <laughs> oh my God. For like, what is it, 20 over? It's 20 over. And luckily for me at this instance, I was completely sober. So that was a good, that was good for me. Um, and yeah, I was just speeding hardcore and he was like, this is a felony. And he basically lectured me like a father would. And he gave me a warning and sent me on my way. So that was, that was nice. Um, but obviously good to know. Now I know that don't go over 20 in Arizona. It's a felony. I, I think okay. that actually might be more, uh, I've heard that for Ohio too. I don't, don't quote me, but I feel like it's more of a law everywhere else. But anyway, so we did leave our families. We went to school far away. And so when we came back home, we did have to live with our families because we had to find a job. Yep. Um, didn't have any money. Didn't have a job. Cause we remember Michelle and I both went to school in Arizona and Michelle lives in Ohio and I live in Colorado. So we went back to our respective homes and left our jobs in Arizona. Um, and back in and 2008, God, I don't want to be a teacher in Arizona. Uh, gross. Ew. Like, yeah, I don't anyway. think that, I don't think that we want to be a teacher at all right now. And we, Michelle and I actually have, we still have friends that are in the industry, in the industry and, uh, we're trying to get them out. So mm -hmm. we're working on that. Truth. Um, right, anyway. anyway, we digress a lot, but not really. I mean, this is all kind of relevant so I'm, to I'm our story. That 
I'm gathering that the older generation said, you can be whatever you want to be. And so we were like, yeah, yeah I'm going to do this thing. And then yeah. we're like, all right, I'm ready to do this thing. And they're like, cool. ah, fuck off. Yeah. Not room for you. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, yeah. The uh, unemployment is like the highest it's been since the great recession or the great depression. Sorry. And then, so that's because it was the great recession. It was the great recession. Exactly. And the bubble just burst and everybody was like, ah, losing all their shit and foreclosures. And it was, it was bleak, man. So anyway, Michelle and I both had to work our asses off like at, like, like we were working at a job in order to find a job. And um, I actually found a job, uh, my, my first real job I found in, I started in August, August 8th, 2008. Okay. So I graduated in May. Um, I, I, I was looking, I was working like eight hours a day, Monday through pl- Friday, applying, applying, applying. I was looking for jobs. I was applying to anything and everything. Um, I had graduated with, graduated, um, with a tourism development management degree. And I was really obsessed with the accommodation sector. And so I wanted something um, in hotels or um, like cruise lines was uh, something that I was looking into. But then they come back and they say, well, you don't actually have any applicable experience in this. And I say, but I just, uh. and I spent all, you know, all this time and I'm learning all of this stuff. And you know, I'm a hard worker and I've worked in the hospitality industry since I was 15. Uh, you know, working in food, but still it's, it's a customer service hospitality type industry. And I couldn't apply any of that, uh, any of that practical knowledge or nobody would give me a chance really, you know? Right. And so, so then I find a mom and pop shop. Um, so in lieu of working in corporate America, I actually ended up working for a family owned business. Um, and I ended up staying with them for, uh, just for nine years, actually. Um, I climbed up the proverbial corporate ladder in their institution. And if it weren't for changes in their organization, I might still be there today. Um, but my boss ended up selling the company and I couldn't work with the new owner. So that's where we parted ways. Um, and I actually became an entrepreneur in 2017, um, and I still have my own business today. And that's something that more and more of us millennials are turning to because we can't um, necessarily find what we're looking for or um, get the, you know, get the jobs that we're searching for in these certain corporate positions um, because, you know, we might quote unquote, not have enough experience or even though we have this degree, it, you know, it doesn't apply to that specific field. Um, and then there's the whole thing with internships. So, I remember when I was still in Arizona, I actually had a couple of internships and I actually had paid internships, which is something that um, isn't very common. Uh, you know, most internships are unpaid and, you know, a lot of this um, kind of gum- comes into how, um, and I'm, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but this, I just like read, Fine. literally I read her whole book, you guys. So I have like all of this information in my head and I did. Um, I, I kind of like though that it because like we're talking back and forth about it. Like, I cause I'm super into this. Like I want to know because I have like all these ideas in my head but I don't have any facts to back that shit up. So I just, I can't wait to hear what I have wrong or what I have right or why I have it right or why I have it wrong. Yeah. But I mean, um, I'm this- so I, and I'm so interested because like even 
my uncle used to like post all this shit on Facebook, like, oh, fucking millennials, blah, 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 blah. And one time I was so pissed and I was like, listen, you're the one who fucking raised us. You raised us. Why are you complaining? Yes. You were complaining about your children. That's essentially (laughs) what you're doing. Unless you had no kids in which like fine, but you're still contributing to the environment. So I would agree. Your fault. Don't blame me. (laughs) Blame yourself. Okay, great. So I, I'm really, really, really intrigued. So I'm fine with this off topic as long Uh, as like we get all of your information in. It will all come around. I think that you guys can make the connections, hopefully that once I give you some of these facts and figures and we start talking about some of these more, some of these topics more in depth, I think that if we talk about, you know, okay, so Michelle and I, Michelle's and I, oh my God, I cannot speak. We are. Our experiences as millennials for both Michelle and I, um, you know, could obviously we have different experiences like within our millennial generation, but there are definitely events and things in our society that have shaped us as a whole. And I would say that most of us embody um, a lot of the things that we're going to be discussing today. Um, So what, you know, what I want to talk about is really what is being said about us, who we really are, how we got here, what we believe, and how we are reshaping society and the workplace as we know it. Um, And I kind of also want to talk about, um, once we're talking about the workplace, I want to talk, you know, and so we've already kind of talked about this. So it back in 2000, so I started my job. Okay. So like whatever, Mm -hmm. I was there for nine years. I worked my way up the corporate ladder. Um, for the last five years, I was there actually the uh, chief operating chief operating officer and, um, COO. Yep. The COO. And I did all of the marketing and the business development for the brand, for the franchise. I work for a franchisor. So my clients were my franchisees and I made the system. I created the manual. I did all the training. I did the site visits and I got to be, um, a participant within our, our, um, professional, uh, organization. So our, um, the industry was corporate housing, um, which that could be a whole other topic, but it's very niche and we don't have to go there, but basically think about Airbnb. Maybe you can tell me about it some other time though. Yeah, Airbnb, which relates to millennials. Cause guess what? A millennial created the platform Airbnb, everybody. Yeah. I bet Heck you didn't yeah. know that. Now you do. Uh, you know what else we created? Social media. We created, uh, the social economy. We recreated sharing apps where we're literally air, like Airbnb. Airbnb is a technology platform that connects property owners with people who need furnished rentals, right? Boom. Okay. That's, that's called the shared economy. Um, millennials had a increasing uh, hand in making this happen. Okay. Uh, technology, obviously, so back in 2008, you guys, I, I just want to note that I don't think that you really understand this. Smartphones were not really that popular yet in 2008, okay? When we were in college, um, when Michelle was in, so 2004, Michelle had the first iPod, okay? So this is mm. something I that I need you guys to understand about us as millennials, okay? We were born 
we in the you know in the 80s michelle and i were born in the 80s okay so we basically grew up in the 90s and um we were you know in the 90s it was still kind of safe uh there's a lot of latchkey kids which is the idea that um many of us had parents that both worked and so we would not have anybody ho home waiting for us when we got home from school right so we had keys to our homes and we walked to school or whatever um, and that actually a lot of millennials uh, were termed that, you know, latchkey, like whatever, yeah. um, you know, Michelle and I had different family dynamics where my mom was a nurse and so she and she worked night shifts so she was always home for us during the day. Um, but my dad was always building his business when I was a kid so um, I didn't really get to see him that much uh, on weekends, you know, and we would do like fun activities but I think and Michelle's dad also worked a lot. Um, but I think your mom was at home. Yes, yeah, my mom was okay. home with us. Yeah, so so I think there were you know other families that did have maybe a, a parent at home still, but but we were we were not the norm. My oh, mom being uh -uh. home was very no. unusual. Correct. Yes, and was very lucky. Totally no, because I most of my friends in uh, middle school and high school did not have parents at home when we got out of school, um, and I, I you know I know. I know personally a lot of kids that use that as a way to get into trouble. Um, I myself uh, didn't get into trouble until college. Michelle could attest to right. this. But when I was in high school, we did, um, whenever I ditched, <laughs> I got a prearranged absence form so that I could make up my homework. Um, and we basically just took it as a I guess you could call it a mental health day, but back when we were teenagers, like we weren't even thinking about that. And you guys, guess what? When we were in college, like mental health still wasn't really being discussed like it is today. Okay. So I just want, like, I just want to talk about some of these things that, that people are calling, you know, millennials were entitled brats. We don't have any respect for our elders anymore. Uh, you know, we um, were ruining society. We killed the American dream. We're, um, we're lazy, we're easily offended, uh, we're killing the diet and fitness industry, we're killing the workplace. We're, I mean, people, so since we graduated, and, and we're the elder millennials, that's what Michelle and I are, okay? So yeah. if you think, if you can think about, so we're, we're 35, 36, okay? So we're mid-30s, and our counterparts, our younger counterparts are in their early 20s right now, right? So they're maybe just starting out in the workforce, whereas we've been in the workforce for, I mean, Michelle and I both had jobs in high school. So we've been working since we were teenagers. And I don't think... Um, and I actually don't know this. I don't think a lot of the Gen Zers have to work like we did. Like, I don't think a lot of Gen Zers go and get a job at um, the hamburger stand <laughs> like I did when I was 15 years old. Um, but I, I can't say for sure, right? Maybe a lot I think, of them are I think working. it's all over. I think, like, I think there's a lot of people working and there's also a lot of people who don't have to work. Um, I think it's all over. Right. So I didn't actually look at Gen Z's yet because they're just starting to get in the workforce and we're still apparently talking about millennials. So like 15 years later, we're still talking about millennials. So that's what- God, those damn millennials. I, but that makes me like, it, it makes me, it. it's so funny to me, Michelle, that we're still having these conversations. Oh my God. How can we work well, like multi-generational? How can we cater to the millennials? You know how we can work well multi-generational? 
How? Just go ahead and retire. Let us take this. <laughs> we got it. We got this. Don't micromanage us. We are, right? we are. I, and I hope you're going to tell us who we are. But I know that was one of the things oh, you listed. We but are. Like, I feel like we are innovative. We mm-hmm. are resourceful. Mm-hmm. We know how to look at facts. Yep. We know how to figure it out. We yep. knew we know how to use the internet because it came to us at our formative years. Yep. So we, if we don't know something, we will figure it out. We look so it up. go ahead. If you're really struggling that hard to have millennials in the workplace or any younger generation, go ahead and leave. And we got this. <laughs> we got it. All right. We're, we're changing your shit up. All right. Oh yeah. We're, we're totally going to change shit up, but I promise you it'll work better. I I'm already we're already seeing that but we're still having this conversation so you're right hey boomers maybe it's time for you to retire now okay since you're like go enjoy yourself go oh oh I'm sorry was your advice not actually apt are you actually in more debt than we are what what they're not um but you know we are we are the poorest generation uh millennials I can say that because we probably didn't really start making real money until later like so we graduated in 2008 yeah and like i don't think i was making good enough money until really 2012 2012 is when i got my first salary job that's Mm, yep let's see i was four uh, years after college oh wait that's because i had to go back to college yes get a freaking master's she got a master's degree and yet Michelle still probably wasn't making as much as her male counterpart. And that's a whole other conversation, y'all, because fucking millennials were, oh, oh, we're talking, we're, we're too sensitive. No, we're not, bitch. We just don't want this racist, systemic bullshit to be happening anymore, okay? We're not going to keep our blinders on. We're going to call out injustices and we're going to do something about it. We have purpose. We want to have purpose. That is a big thing for us. And so if we're working some stupid company that's not doing something better for the world or society as a whole, then we're not fulfilling our purpose. And that's why so many millennials switch jobs, you know, every couple of years, because the culture is not a fit for how we need to coexist in, in the work environment. Um, that's another reason why so many of us are going our own way and we're we're forging our own path and we're we're you know venturing into entrepreneurship um you know which is hard fucking work you guys it is hard work um daily consistent action but i believe that anybody can do that i know that that's something that boomers have been telling us forever (laughs) and maybe maybe i'm just i'm sick of it okay so i'm just like whatever i'm gonna do it because i've got something to prove to the man and that's just that's just been my attitude but uh so who who are millennials who are millennials tell me who are so like because i have this preconceived notion in my head that we are go-getters you just said like we are we like we'll go it on our own if we need to but like i don't know there's a lot i mean there's a lot of um so here's here's some facts and figures okay so i I said that we're the most diverse largest demographic um our generation tends to be more tolerant of races and groups than than older generations so 47 percent of us are more tolerant than the 19 percent of older generations 
Um, and 45% of us um, want to see the position of minorities improve. Um, in 2013, okay, so Michelle and I graduated in 2008. So four years later, in 2013, 34.9% of millennials had a bachelor's degree or higher, which is compared to 34.6 of Gen X and 31.1% of baby boomers. Okay, so we are the most, uh, you know, educated, educated. Um, generation, and yet we are still the poorest generation, and we still minimum wage, even though it's been raised to, you know, $15 an hour in a lot of instances, that doesn't cut it, you guys, because the rate of inflation keeps going up so much that even if they raise the minimum wage every single year, it's, it's not going to cut it. We're still going to be in, we're in debt, and we're just going to continue to have this, this, you know, disenfranchised, disproportionate uh, wage pay, you know, gap in society, whereas we have the major poor, and then the super rich. And we'll talk about that. And I'll, I'll dive down to, in that a little bit more. But <clears throat> I said before, millennials have an average of 25,000 in student loans. Um, our tuition rates are rising higher than inflation. Um, and yet the enrollment continues to increase. The generations before us had a more accessible living wage, tuition costs, and adequate health care. Um, now inflation has reduced the value of minimum wage. Uh, which still really hasn't been raised to a livable wage in many institutions. And college tuition and interest rates are through the roof. And medical bills are one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in America. Um, our generation- the crap out of me. Yes, it does. Our generation struggles with mental health illness to some degree. Uh, most of us have anxiety, depression. Um, others have bipolar disorder. And then there's a whole broad spectrum. Uh, many of us suffer from one or more. Um, the millennial generation is also facing shorter lifespans than generations past, in part due to chronic health conditions, drug addiction, overdose, suicide, and alcohol poisoning. Um, millennials are tending to delay parenthood, with research indicating that the average age of a first-time mother in the U.S. has risen from between 21 to 22 in 1970 to roughly 26 in 2014. Uh, because many millennials just don't have the money for kids until later on in their lives. As Michelle has mentioned, um, her first salary position wasn't until 2012. And I think that's when I was like, I, I think I was earning a decent salary probably in 2014, I want to say 2013. Um, so yeah, it took me about five years to make a quote unquote decent living wage. And even when I look back at it, I could have been making way more in the position that I was in. But I really... You know, it's all about the workplace, right? So we're going to talk about the factors that make a workplace um, enriching for millennials. And I had that um, with my boss. And so I had a really nice um, mentorship um, opportunity where my boss really empowered me to make my own decisions. And she gave me this position of autonomy. And I was able to have, um, you know, pretty major uh, decision-making ability and she trusted me and because of and, and appreciated me and because of all of this I ended up staying with her for nine years um, because awesome. right because of management shifts that's when I decided to pursue alternate routes and I think that's still what's happening today that's still what's happening in the workplace is that these major corporations aren't changing their organization at all and it's still very much old school work mentality which is you know, nine to five and you know you have to come to the office and you know, all this stuff and we've got ROIs to meet and, and 
what we want is we want flexibility. Okay. We're looking for flexibility. We're looking for something that we can do in our time. We're going to get our shit done, but we just want you to work with us. Okay. We want, you know, more autonomy in, in our life's period. Like that's what we want. You know, I would say that that's probably the reason why I left my last job. Like part of the reason I love my last job, but also the reason I left my last job because my autonomy in from some managers was fantastic, but the final straw, I mean, the straw that broke the camel's back, I should say, um, was the lack of autonomy that was given to me in the end. Like that was the final straw is when you, when, when I was told, you know, that I couldn't, I couldn't earn comp time when I was working from home, just really. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. So, so this is what we're saying companies. If you want to listen, this is what millennials have been saying since we fucking graduated almost 20 years ago. Okay. Not that, not that long, not that long, but high school, almost 20 years ago for high school. Fuck. All right. Anyway, that's like, uh, that's for another day. Okay. Autonomy is fantastic. I mean, and huge. That's something that we've, that we definitely, definitely want. Um, so millennials have redefined the quote unquote American dream. Okay. We haven't given up on it. Our expectations have merely evolved uh, because so much has changed. Of course, we would love to have a debt-free retirement and a paid-off home, but we also want to prioritize travel and or living abroad. Um, But we still love the idea of settling down. Um, 68% of us would prefer to build our lives in one community rather than living and working in multiple geographies. Um, 43% of our generation has purchased their homes, while 75% of the non-homeowning millennials say that they want to buy. Um, okay, yeah. In, in theory, yeah. In theory, fucking nice, right? But you need like to be smart about it, you guys. You would need probably a 20% down payment so that you don't pay uh-huh. the stupid PMI insurance, which is bullshit, which doesn't fucking go anywhere, and you just pay extra. Okay, but any. They say, the experts say between like, if you can do a 10% down payment and keep it less than 25% of your um, overall like income to like of your expenses based on your income. So the example was if you make $3,000 a month, then your mortgage can only be $750. Okay. So that's fucking laughable. I'm just laughing at that number right now because I'm also a big real estate nerd, uh, which I don't know if you guys have realized this yet, but I literally, Zillow is my, I look at Zillow, like, and they have those jokes, you know, like on SNL and stuff about people in their thirties really <laughs> liking um, real estate apps. Well, I, that, that's me. I love, I love real estate apps. I love looking. I at still them. like to look at houses that are for sale, even though yeah. I am in a house yes. that we plan on making our forever home. Totally. I, I go to, I go to open house. Well, when open houses were still like more of a thing right before the pandemic, I used to go into open houses all the time. I would just be like on a walk and I'd be like, Oh my God, I'm going to go see that house. And I would just like go in. And then, um, it's fine. Anyway, so now I just, I peruse on my app because, you know, yeah. COVID has really 
made it so that I'm actually really liking the fact that I don't have to be in society. But Michelle's like, Janine, you should probably get in society. That's what she's thinking in her head. And I yes, think that because... in my head too. I know because it's I'm what, depressed. It's what we hate to do, but it fights the mental I, health. It fights the mental health. I know, even though people fucking piss me the fuck off, but that's fine. Me okay. too, but it's what helps break a funk. <laughs> okay. So you know what else helps break a funk? Researching things about our generation. Um, All right. Tell or, me more. Tell me more. Or does it? Okay. So I want to talk about our parents, you guys. Um, Let's talk about how our parents shaped us, okay? Um, So childhood trauma is not just a millennial issue, obviously, um, but we are actually being deemed the generation behind an epidemic of family estrangement. According to psychologist Joshua Coleman, parenting has changed more in the last 40 years than it did in the last few centuries before that. The principles of obligation, duty, and respect that baby boomers and generations before them had for their elders aren't necessarily there anymore. Um, So our generation is obviously not unique in experiencing childhood trauma, um, but if we have been mistreated, abused, neglected, et cetera, we are actually more likely to talk about it than the previous generations. I would say that, um, like I mentioned, when back in, you know, when we were in college, 2004 to 2008, mental health was still, that was still kind of a taboo subject. Um, I remember actually, um, that was the first time in my life that I uh, realized that I had some like substance issues and that I was um probably really depressed and I I just needed some somebody to talk to so I actually I went to the mental health um like center on campus at ASU and I remember I I spoke to somebody and she was in training so she was in you know she was getting her master's degree and I think these were her practicum out hours um but basically she kind of She's probably getting her PhD, not her master's. Yeah, sorry, PhD. But regardless, the way that the situation was handled, I I think kind of made me disillusioned to therapy at the time. Um, I was like, I think I was probably 19, 20, 21 when I just made this decision to go and talk to somebody. Um, And I've... um, when it comes down to it, I've actually been depressed since I was much younger, probably since I was about 12 or 13. Um, but I was never diagnosed because my mom and dad kind of always dismissed my emotions. And we'll talk about that. That's that's part of how our boomer parents um, parented. Either they were, quote unquote, helicopter parents um, where they did everything for us. And that's why we call, you know, we're called like the snowflakes and the, you know, we get the participation ribbons and all of that stuff because our parents, if they were super involved in our life, they literally did everything for us. So we didn't have, um, we didn't have the chance to make mistakes. We didn't, we didn't learn how to, um, learn, you know, to learn from making mistakes and, um, and when I say we, I mean the millennials that had this parenting style. My parenting style was very much not helicopter. 
I would say mine was more of an emotional neglect situation. I was very, obviously I was very um, physically taken care of. My parents always had money. We always had food. I always had shelter and clothing, but my emotional needs, I don't think were fully met. Um, and so <clears throat> I- Your um, lower level of Maslow's hierarchy was met, but your- what is it? The second or third yeah. level? Yeah, so it probably wasn't. Wasn't exactly. And so, as you know, you know, Michelle brings up a good point. So that's like uh, Maslow's hierarchy. That's the pyramid. And maybe if you've taken psychology, you guys have learned about this. I'm but, sure we'll have an episode on it because you know that's my 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 jam right there. Uh, totally. So I know I like how you can see. I like how you can throw some of this stuff in here because I, I yeah. knew that you'd be able to. Um, so, uh, you know. Anyway, so poor parenting has an infinite number of sources and explanation, but it often takes one of two main tracks in how it is inflicted upon a child. Uh, ignoring, so that's what I'm just referring to here where my emotional needs were ignored, or engulfing, which is the hovering parent. So um, ignoring parenting, obviously there's a spectrum, I think, for everything. That does include horrible neglect and abuse, like physical neglect and abuse as well. Um, but mostly what, what we're talking about here is that the ignoring parent provides their child with all of their physical needs, but fails to provide adequate emotional support, where they're either lacking in love, support, and or attention. Um, and those are all fundamental building blocks of healthy adult relationships. Okay, so when we're Growing up, if we are not getting our emotional needs met, that's where we can have these feelings of like depression, okay, I'm not good enough, um, anxiety, like what, what can I do to make myself appear good enough? Um, you know, a lot of us, um, we, so this is what it says here. This is what the, the researchers say. Um, so tell us, and then I have a, I have a, a thought. Okay, I was going to say, so we tend to grow up to be either, either an overachiever or a self-saboteur, so, right? And then um, this, these are all, so let me, here's a prerequisite. All of these things that we tend to grow up to be are the same for hover parents, just for different reasons. So we tend to be either overachievers or self-saboteurs. We, um, we have, we may develop anxiety, depression, substance abuse problems, and eating disorders. And those are literally the same for our hover parents. Um, but here's the stats on, on being ignored. So when parents act like the needs of their children don't matter, don't exist, or are a burden, it affects the child in fundamental ways into adulthood. In a 2003 study published in Child Abuse and Neglect, Volume 27, Issue 11, researchers investigated whether emotional abuse and neglect are predictors of psychological and somatic symptoms in adulthood. They found that a history of emotional abuse and neglect was associated with increased anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress, and physical symptoms, as well as lifetime trauma exposure. Long-standing behavioral consequences may arise as a result of childhood emotional abuse and neglect specifically poorer emotional and physical functioning and vulnerability to further trauma exposure. Um, so when I read that, um, you know, I kind of thought to myself, and Michelle, I'll let you jump in here, but I kind of thought to myself, like the further trauma exposure, um, that's actually like really relatable to me because in any relationship since my parents, I've always been 
so focused on making sure the other party knew that I loved them or that I, you know, that I was worthy, that I cared about them, whether or not I, whether or not they were actually reciprocating any of those same traits back to me. So I've always just like given, 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 and I've, and I've found some really shitty relationships because of that. And like, I've had some really unhealthy patterns. Um, But luckily I do believe that um, therapy works and I have been in and out of therapy for uh, just under a decade. Um, I'm not currently speaking to somebody, but maybe that's something I should think about again. If my, it's like you read my mind. I was just going to say, look, if you can't break this funk, so I'm about to graduate from my one therapist. Like he really helped me get through this like spot where I'm at. Yeah. And I learned a lot about boundaries um, and the relationship stool. Um, it's like three legs. Yeah, it's like three legs of a relationship. Anyway, so um, but then I was thinking about signing up for BetterHelp or like Talkspace or one of those. Yeah, just because then I could like it could be whenever. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's something another I'm thing millennials like. Everybody is technology that allows us to get what we want when we want it. Okay. So yeah, yeah, that's a good point. It's like, I fell right into that. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't know that was going to be topic, but Uh, yes, that is exactly what I was thinking. Uh, But that wasn't, no, go ahead. Uh, I wanted Uh, you to tell me what you were thinking of before. Yeah. But it's going to be off topic from therapy and counseling and stuff. So you were talking about, um, like, um, our emotional needs aren't met. Yeah. And then I was like, hmm, when did the TV come out? And so then I looked it up. Okay, so here out here here out this theory. Oh yeah. Could be totally wrong. Okay. Okay. But so the television was presented at the World's Fair in 1939. Uh-huh. Um, so this, I should tell you, this is from SRI.com. Um, so then 1953 was when the first complete electronic color TV system was out. So my dad was born in 1953. Right. So, and my, yeah. My parents 58 and 60. So I, all right, I'm, I'm getting where you're going, but go ahead, put it into, yeah, put it into so words. Is this like a perpetual tablet type situation where um, like interest and stuff goes into TV and not so much into human connection? Um, so, it so, began, then, so it's not, it began with our, our parents' generation, perhaps where they right. were. Right. And that's, and that is, but I they, feel, I think there's also like, I, I would be intrigued to know when television kind of, um, started having more programming, like, you know, cause in yeah. the beginning it was just like kind of news. It, it wasn't very, um, engaging. and they only had, they only had like two channels or something. I remember. Yeah. Like remember it wasn't like, engaging though. Right. And, and it's not like today, which is vastly different than even how we were raised. Because Michelle, remember, we had we had VHSs and we had DVD players and we had yeah. Blu-ray and we had flip phones and we had stupid- if we, like, wanted, if we wanted to like watch a TV show or find a movie, yeah. we had to work really, really hard to right. either be in front of the TV at a specific time, right. have the VHS 
in the recording. VCR ready to record right. at the right time, hoping you did it right because that yeah. shit was not easy. Not and easy. I'm like, I love technology and I never yes. figured that out. No, Michelle loves um, technology. So it was archaic as fuck. All right. That's what we're Yeah, I about. never, I never figured that out. And <laughs> if we wanted to watch a movie, we had to go to the video store. By the yes. way, I live, I live in a rural area. The nearest video store was definitely five miles away at least and there were no sidewalks and a 45 mile per hour road i think it was actually 50 then it's now 45 because it's gotten more developed but like i was not walking five miles it was not safe for me to walk five miles in my ruralness to the video store so i needed to find a ride to right. the video store and then if you want to take you yeah then you like, were sol and yeah, um, had to work super hard to get the sh- like that stuff it was music like, we had to go to like stores and- yes it was very much a special privilege kind of like a special treat whereas today I feel like we're we're like losing sight of some of the shit that we had to do and now I can just go to Hulu or Netflix or really any of them because let's be honest I think we all have like all of them because now all the companies are like no I own this asset and if you want to see this show, then you have to buy my streaming service. And so now we just don't appreciate it anymore. And that makes me right. sad. You know, I'm just like, damn it. We used to have to like work harder for this shit. And now it's just like, I mean, I'm glad we don't have to work hard for this shit. Cause I don't want to I work mean, hard for this shit. I, and <laughs> when Leah was over today and she was like, I was like going to make food and no, she wasn't fussy, but like I wanted to make food and I was really trying to keep her out of Marvin's stuff Uh, because Marvin's he's fine, but like, he doesn't like people hanging on him specifically. He doesn't like kids hanging on him. And so I get nervous that she's going to like grab him or touch him. So I needed something to entertain her while I got her food together. And Marvin, I knew would then like chill because she was chill. Right. And, um, I was able to like just pull up Netflix kids and find random shit on there. So I'm actually glad because I'm not, I would not have been prepared. I would have had to have prepared to watch her and I don't have that kind of like foresight. Oh, right. Or, or you would have had to have like the videos and stuff like at your house, or you would have had to like ask your, um, it's your, she's your niece, right? Yeah. So I would have yes. had to ask my sister-in-law for her like movies some and stuff DVDs like that. or yeah. something. Cause I was like, I remember like even in college, um, did you ever, did you ever babysit in college or like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, that's like a perfect example, right? That was, you know, between 2004 and 2008, I had, I babysat a couple people and I know you did. And then I think, um, you know, our, our friends had some clients too. And so I remember babysitting back in those days and having the DVDs still. Right. And so then, and like my, in and granted, my client was in um, Snotsdale. No, where, where were they? They were in um, uh, whatever, some rich neighborhood. Okay, so I had some rich client and she was like all like, oh, don't let the kids watch too much TV. You know, go play outside. Like very, very much like a helicopter <laughs> parent. So I'd be, I wonder how her kids turned out. That'd be funny to see. They're not millennials though. Wait, yes, they are. Yeah. Oh my God, they are millennials, Michelle. Holy Uh shit. God, this is all coming back around you guys. Okay, so anyway, Anyway, I I like this. I like how we went back to that. um, And we're talking about the um, therapy. Okay, cool. Awesome. So now you want to talk about helicopter parenting since I just brought that back up again. Okay. 
So it's the opposite of ignoring, um, but it's basically overparenting <laughs> the children, but they often still have similar emotional woes and feel lonely and ignored um, because the parents are making every decision. Uh, they're catching their falls. They're never, the child's never learning how to do things on their own. Um, and so then when, you know, they're 18 and they leave the house, they often feel lost and confused um, since they are now on their own and they've never been before. Um, so again, I told you guys, we have the same things. We, they, these kids either grow up to be overachievers or self-saboteurs and they develop anxiety, depression, depression, substance abuse, and eating disorders. Fun fact, I have all four. Um, in a 2013 study at California State University, Fresno, management professors Jill C. Bradley Geist and Julie B. Olson Buchanan explored the consequences of helicopter parenting. And it was discovered that there was a correlation between helicopter parenting and, and uh, anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, neuroticism, and dependency. Go figure. This type of parenting style is also associated with recreational use of pain meds and taking prescription medication for anxiety and depression. There is also research linking over-parenting and entitlement mentality. Oh my God, wait, are we entitled, you guys? Or did our parents make us Make entitled? us that way. Yeah. Okay, so the students with overly involved parents were found to have lower social and general self-efficacy, as well as maladaptive responses to workplace scenarios. Um, yeah, go figure. If mommy and daddy do all of my work for me my whole life, then when I graduate and I'm supposed to be in the workplace, how am I supposed am I to do supposed things to myself, yeah. right? So those who have been raised with a helicopter parent were more likely to choose workplace solutions that relied on someone else rather than taking personal responsibility. Um, okay, so talk about accountability issues. Um, thank you, mom and dad. Really appreciate that. Um, no, I, I actually, I take accountability. So I, I'm not one of those. Yeah, ones. I was yeah. like, I feel like some don't, some do. It is yeah. frustrating to me though, when people don't, I will admit that. Uh, pisses I me the that. fuck off. I'm like, hello, you did it. So please take some responsibility. All right, like right? we can fix it. We can fix it together. I'm not mad at you. Just like take ownership. Just be proud of it, you know? Right. Anyway, so without a strong sense of self-efficacy, efficacy, efficacy, thank you, or the belief that one can accomplish tasks and goals, young adults are likely to be dependent on others and engage in poor coping strategies and fail to take accountability in the workplace. Oh, goody. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, you know, I, I concur. Um, so that is, so wait, I, I need to refer to my book now. So let's, let's dive into some of these. I think um, the way I'm going to pull out some specific quotes that Caitlin Fisher says. So here's a conclusion that she made. So we didn't cause these issues, um, but after we've been hearing that you're entitled, quote unquote, as we developed our adult identities, we don't even need to hear it from other people now. We actually believe it about ourselves. As a society, we now romanticize struggle, busyness, and the hustle. So if you're not losing yeah. sleep, 
and working two or three jobs, you must not want it enough. Okay. That is back fucking ass words. All right. Like I think if we, we can fast forward now. Right. So talk about 2020 when the pandemic happened, there were so many of us that were able to still get the job done um, for all the companies when we had to go remote or whatever. Like I, I obviously didn't have to, I was already remote working um, have been since 2017. So that was an adjustment for me, but I understand how it might've been a, an adjustment for maybe older generations, but I feel like millennials yeah. probably worked We're like, really finally. well. Yeah. yeah, because th- this it's is something time. that, yeah, we've been talking about this, you know? So um, I think it's just, so we're entitled disrespectful, disrespectful punks. Um, I wanted to talk about killing the American dream. All right, so we wanna talk Millennials want more transparency, more transparency in everything that we do, um, mm-hmm. right? It's our it's our uh, money, and we want to know like what's happening. Um, we also, um, so Forbes says that employers need to stop blaming millennial turnover on issues of entitlement, listlessness, or impatience, and instead look at what these workers want and what they, as companies, have to offer them. Um, business.com also adds that it's crucial for companies to adjust to the millennial generation to attract and retain talent. Managers need to consider what current and future workers expect from their employers today. Um, so we have, we have made, um, millennials have created a lot of apps as we've talked about before. Um, so we created Airbnb, uh, Facebook, uh, Michelle and I were actually, uh, some of the first Facebook users in the nation, uh, because back in what, 2005, I think 2005, I believe it Facebook was, was four, it was 2004 four? because it was the second You're, half we were freshmen. Living, yes. Yeah. yeah we were in the I dorms. remember in the dorms making my Facebook page. That's right. Okay. So 2004, but you had to have transferring a, uh, it over from my, MySpace. <laughs> yeah oh yeah you guys you little z's don't even know the greatness of myspace that shit was amazing okay it taught us how to code and we had to, we got to put like our favorite songs and our top friends oh, yeah. and shit on there Ugh, it was glorious it taught us how to make websites you guys that is a really good skill to know all right i'm just telling you um so here's the thing about millennials if something or someone treats us badly or makes us feel like crap we say a hearty no thanks This means changing the landscape of the workplace when managers treat us like machines instead of people. This means making a ton of noise about sexual assault and sexism, even though it gets us labeled problematic and routinely told that we're making something out of nothing. This means we'll cut off family members who treat us poorly and we are unapologetic about it. From the Me Too movement, to the general willingness and empowerment of young people to call out racism, sexism, economic injustice, and other societal issues, we're making a big fuss. And it's changing society for the better. From large-scale protests to tiny battles across the Thanksgiving dinner table, we have no time or space for people who treat other people poorly. Uh, That was a quote from Caitlin. Uh, She's amazing. She's like sassy and like sarcastic but then she like puts in these anecdotes and facts and i'm loving all of it and i'm seriously 
recommending this book to you guys because she actually goes in and she so she talks about okay this is what people say about millennials this is what we know these are the facts and figures and then she actually goes in and she writes some helpful things like in every chapter she says okay so if these are the facts then this is what you can do as a millennial to you know kind of take charge and and make it your own um so talking about we learn our coping skills, um, unfortunately, through our childhood traumas, and obviously those tend to stick with us. So um, we grow up with the example of our parents as our barometer of normal, um, even when outsiders can see that our family is definitely not normal. So I um, here's something, this is what this, and this anecdote actually, um, is it kind of it, it brought up a lot for me too so so um the author says that she remembers telling her dad that she loves him and he said you say that so much that it seems like you're trying to convince yourself of it she says that she remembers feeling like my stomach had been filled with ice and i had an uncomfortable tightness in my chest i felt slapped and with that one offhand statement from a man who was under a lot of emotional strain and vented it at his daughter I learned that my love cannot be trusted. It must be proven. Oh, yeah. When I read that, I was like, fuck that. Uh, I have that. That's something that's something that lives in my brain. Um, she also goes, go, uh, goes on to say that she became very easily taken advantage of and taken for granted because of how hard and deep I threw myself into making sure my partner knew I loved them. I never even stopped to notice if that love and attention was being reciprocated. So this is what I was talking about earlier. Um, when I read that, I was like, oh my God, that's literally what I do or what I have done in a lot of my past relationships. I'm working on it. It's a work in progress, which is why I'm still single. Um, but identifying the problem is the biggest problem, like is totally. the biggest hurdle. And then this, this paragraph about the mom really hits home for me. And I know Michelle, this, I don't know if it was your mom, but maybe it was. So by the age of 12, I discovered through constant reminders from my mother that I was fat, lazy, and worthless. My sister and I were put on diets from a young age. Uh, I was 11, by the way, 11 to 18, I was on a diet. Um, and we were shamed for being hungry, wanting sweets, or going up in a pants size. So... So she, the author, but also me, internalized the message that fat people don't get loved and I would never find a man to love me because I was fat and lazy and nobody wanted to be with somebody like that. I literally have diet culture like on my to talk about list. Yeah. Because of the shit that's been in my head uh, forever. about me yeah. that I'm finally shedding. Yeah. Like, I'm finally not giving a shit about it. But so I'm really excited, like, to talk about diet culture in another episode because I think it's super, super important. Um, yeah. I also think it's just, like, really misunderstood. But, like, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <sighs> so, I, I mean, I, I remember, excuse me, I remember in high school, I, like, was at, American Eagle and I was trying on I never like in high school I never fit into American Eagle pants oh um yeah like I always had to like I was either like the highest size or I had to like order them online 
Totally. Um, but then I remember like trying on a shirt and I remember being told that gray doesn't look good on me. What? Mm, gray doesn't look good on you. That was a comment that was told to me. And so then I get super self-conscious when I wear gray. And uh, I finally broke in that. Day. Yes. What the fuck? Like 20 plus years later. And I'm still like, mm, I don't know if I should wear gray. Oh, no, 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 no. Gray looks great on you, right? Be the gut person. Anything will off. look great on me if I feel comfortable in it. Same it, with you. Yes. It's all about what we feel. It's all about what we feel, not what we look like on the outside. Exactly. So I really do like the fact that um, our generation is spearheading this whole body positivity movement. And we oh, have, God, yeah. and we're like, um, so since we're talking about that, we're killing diet and fitness. Okay. So here's some fun facts. So this is what the author says, talking about, she um, has always had issues with her weight um, and, you know, having her parents and tell her, you know, prop propagate this. And then her mind obviously propagating this as well. And so she says that after um, she, she reaches 300 pounds, she was devastated. So she lost, I lost 20 pounds by eating more veggies, drinking more water and borrowing fat burning workout for dummies from the library. I have watched my weight yo-yo up and down over the intervening decade, but I've also made incredible progress on my lifestyle and am the healthiest I've ever been despite my BMI. I eat about 90% vegan. Um, so that's another thing that millennials are really embracing is um, going vegan, but not necessarily for health benefits, I think for environmental implications as well. Um, she focuses on whole foods. So, and she doesn't stress out about macros. She only tracks her calories sometimes. She doesn't love greens, but she's working on learning to enjoy, enjoy them and drinking plenty of water. Let's talk about the industry now. So we, so the diet has been around forever and the industry is ma basically made up of marketing gimmicks, gimmicks to make people feel, um, you know, like it's, it's a, it's about advertisement and product placement, and it's not yeah. actually supposed to help your life. Um, and so uh, Matt, so here's a, something that I heard actually when I was in college. Okay. So that was, you know, between 2004 and 2008, I don't know what actual year it was, but that was, you know, almost 15, 20, 17 years ago. We've seen so much in terms of advertising that for throughout our entire life that we could actually have a bachelor's in advertising because of all of the ads and everything that we've seen in our entire life. Um, so, so what, wait, but so what were you going to say about college, what you heard in college about fitness? Did I miss it? Oh, no, I would, I just said it is that we, um, oh, that we could have, uh, that we could have an advertising degree, a degree because of how much we've seen. So that kind of goes into how we're changing the fitness industry and how we're changing a lot of industries is that we like working out, right? We, but we're, we're, um, getting away from the quote unquote traditional big box gym. And so that's, that's what we're killing. We're killing the gym basically. And so we're, well, we're looking I think that a lot of people aren't really as enslaved to going to the gym to look good anymore. People go to the gym because they want to, and they fit it into their schedule. So I can right. see how a big box gym would fall apart because of that. Um, 
and, but the advertising is, so that's, that was part of this, right? Because a lot of the advertising that we've seen our whole lives has not been real people. It's been models that have been Photoshopped, Photoshopped. and, um, you know, stretch marks, all the things have been removed our, like our entire lives. And so this body positive, body positivity movement, I think has really only just kind of begun since social media kind of began. And I think, you know, when we started, we as a generation started putting ourselves out there more often. Um, you know, most of us have social media. I think there's, it's like 70% of millennials have social media. And um, out of that 70%, I think 25% of us have posted at least once of ourselves on a social media platform. And obviously that's not even to talk about um, influencers or anything like that. But right, right. But talk about PE classes, okay? So this is an oh antidote also. So this has been coming up on TikTok a lot recently and I love it, but go. Well, that, because PE classes were fucking horrible. Am I right? Like I hated PE, fucking hated it. Have and you seen the TikTok or like seen any of the memes? It was like, so when did your anxiety start? And like some of them have like the Super Mario oh shorts. My God. And the other one is like, um, when you're told to run a mile in under 14 minutes in front of everybody in your class. Ew. Yes. Okay. Okay. So also something that millennials had to do, at least us older millennials is we had to do the fucking presidential fitness test bullshit every fucking year. And that was some bullshit. Let me tell you. Um, maybe I blacked this out. Of, um, I or said maybe, blacked it out. Like maybe, maybe you didn't have to do it in Ohio, but in Colorado, we had to do it. What and was every, it? Well, every year we got tested on how well we did like certain tasks. So we had to do like the V sit and reach. We had to do pull-ups or if you couldn't do pull-ups, you had to do like the hang and see, mm -hmm. and they would time you. They would see how many you could do. They would literally record it. And then um, they would submit the results to the state and they would be like oh this is the like most physical like whatever it so yeah talk about anxiety i was oh god I, we did I, not have to deal no, with no, any no. of that crap and i'm so oh, glad ew it was well i also went to private school so maybe that was a thing yeah anyway it was it was horrible um i i hated if it if anyone then, knows share their experience i want to know i want to know more about this thing yeah it was like presidential fitness so please pipe up. All right. If you guys had to do this bullshit, cause it was stupid. Um, so I think that's a, that's another thing too, right. Is that we I, don't want to necessarily be in that spotlight anymore. Like we don't want to have to be like, Oh, we're in a competition with all of our peers. Um, fuck that. We just want to, we, well, and like the gym that I go to shout out orange theory. Um, it's always like, their thing is always <laughs> like you compete with yourself. Like don't pay attention to what the person is doing next to you focus on what you did last time and how you can do better. Right. So it's always about that. And so like, I feel like that's very millennial, but also amazing. Yeah. Cause um, we're individuals, and, bitch. That's like, yeah, that's a millennial like, thing. And like, I'm going to do my best, but my best doesn't look like your best, but that's okay. Yeah. yeah. We are two completely different people with two completely different backgrounds with two completely different strengths. Like, and you know bodies. what I mean? And yes, totally. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I think that's crazy. Um, the other thing I was going to say is that I think about it a lot now because we play sand volleyball every week. Um, yes. And I really regret not playing volleyball in high school because, and the only reason I didn't is because 
I thought I was too fat for spandex. And spandex mm-hmm. was what you were required to wear in high school volleyball. Oh, no. I would have probably been fucking baller. Yeah. Like, I would have been a good volleyball player, and I'm so sad. But, but isn't it awesome that now you can, you can yes. do that and, and you I can, can feel, feel fine about it, empowered and like, and you're having fun and you're like, you're getting exercise, but you're not feeling bad about what you look like when you're doing it, you know, like, yeah, that is, that's awesome. That's awesome that, that despite all of these challenges that our generation has had to face, um, and I didn't even get to like, can we, I mean, so big events that happened when we were fucking growing up. I this is oh here's just a, oh here's no. just a tiny list. Um, you are gonna have to get into this in part two for sure because okay. I think I think I think we need to deep dive this part. Like oh, because I, I think I Michelle, have, yeah. you're gonna have lots of thoughts about this because a lot of so many thoughts because I, so I like I can see your note about it. Ah uh, like, yes. I, there was, um, something that came up. I don't know if it was a podcast. I don't know. I have notes about it someplace else. So I would like to pull those up and like have this conversation. And it's about previous generations and the big events that shaped them versus the number of big events that we had that have shaped our lives. And I think it's just going to be crazy because there's so many more that there's so much more bad bullshit that at least okay i'm sorry perhaps that has just been documented or maybe not even documented because i mean i think we're gonna i i I, this is where i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to dig in because so i think because you have so much information and i freaking love it and i I don't want you to shove it in okay uh, i think we need to make this a two-parter all right. And then maybe just dive down into the events and then we can talk about all of the other shit, like conspiracy theories yeah. and like all that. Yeah. And we stuff. can like, we can, we can wrap it up because I think like it's good, but I'm going to crash in about a half hour. I can feel the deadline coming. I get it. And I don't want to be a poor listener. So we're going to have to continue this conversation later. All right. I respect that. So um, let's just pause. Let's put a pin in this right now. Pause. And, you know, we've we've talked a lot about um, a lot of so things. We ta- so, yeah, yes. we talked about, like, um, you know, the the who we are based on, like, their freaking um, stereotypes about stereotypes. us. Yes. And what our parents did to contribute to those mm-hmm. stereotypes and our mental health battles. I think that would be interesting to talk about again. Totally. Um, I definitely want to talk about substance abuse. Oh yeah, in suicide our and how uh, yeah. everything's oh, increased. Um, yeah, school shootings. I mean, come on, people. Fuck. Like the amount of school shootings that we've had in our generation is fucking ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Terrible. Like, and I they can't. don't even they don't even talk about it anymore. I know that's why we have to t- have a whole other separate thing about. I think I think we do. I think we have to the events that shaped the generation. That's I think that's the next thing. So basically, in a nutshell, um, they've been talking about millennials in the workplace since we were in the workplace. So I don't I don't maybe you guys just fucking give up, like Michelle said earlier. Just like go yeah. on, move forward. Um, Maybe listen to what we're fucking saying and actually implement those policies. I don't know. They put a little trust in us. Call me crazy, but 
we uh, really do like flexible schedules and we like to be autonomous because we are fucking individual people. Okay. We're human beings and we really like social enterprise. Okay. So we really like doing good, but we like making money. You know, capitalism isn't dead. You guys just the greed, the greed of our society has changed the way that we are functioning and the way that the wealth is split. And that's uh, another conversation, but I know Amen. I didn't, I know I didn't talk about it, but there's the, the book is so many chapters long, you guys, and I'm going to deep dive into some other stuff. And then we can talk about the, the events. That's super exciting. I'm really excited. Okay. All right. So all right. if you guys so have any let's stop. Let's insights, stop. yeah. Yeah. Yo, Write yeah. Write it. All chat. Um, you know, but, we um, want to have a whole discussion about how you, how you guys feel and any anecdotes you can share about how you grew up, um, being a millennial. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the episode will be on unlimitedgrowability.com. So then we could just have conversations there in the comments. That'd it, be fun. It, yeah. Okay. It's cheers. Be on anchor. Okay. Bye. Hey guys, it's Michelle. Thank you so much for listening to unlimited growability conversations. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to to help open up this conversation to new listeners. If you want more information about things we discussed today, go ahead and visit unlimitedgrowability.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at unlimitedgrowability, or you can reach out and send us an email at unlimitedgrowability at gmail.com.